welcome Mercy House and others that may have come on the, the, the stream. Maybe it's your first time. We, we want to welcome you. My name is Robert. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy House. And uh, it's the third Sunday of Advent. I feel like uh, the Ecclesiastes has been a really good book for Advent. It's, it's full of uh, Hevel and also hope. And this is really the, the, the way in which we experience Advent, of being honest about the darkness around us, yet looking to the light of Christ uh, for uh, hope. And so we are finishing up the book of Ecclesiastes. I know some of you are clapping there in your living rooms. Uh, it's, it's been a, a hard book, but I think a, a good book. And, uh, how, you know, how does uh, Ecclesiastes end? Um, you, it it's kind of, it's, would be hard to guess. Like if, if you weren't uh, reading that last text and I would say, what do you think? How, how's he going to end the, the book? You might say, well, I think he's going to give a, another speech on the meaninglessness of life. Or maybe he's going to give us a pep talk and tell us, I know I said all that depressing stuff, but, you know, come on, the sun will come out tomorrow, or, or, or maybe it's, it's just, uh, I was just kidding, life's really not that bad, or something, something along uh, those lines. But that's not at all how he ends. The way that the book ends uh, is a, a kind of an epilogue where uh, the writer comments on the writing itself. And uh, so you see him talking about the, 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 the what of the writing. Uh, you see him talking about the why of the writing. Uh, and you see him talking about the how in terms of how to apply uh, his writing. And it's, it's, it's really, it's preaching. I mean, that, that's, he, he is the preacher, right? Um, and so this is preaching. Preaching is, yes, teaching content. There's a what to it. But then there's motivation, which is the why. And then there's Here's how you apply this, which is the how. And so here's the preacher giving us a little, little bit of a workshop on, uh, on his uh, preaching, the what, the why, and the how. Um, so what is, what is the what? Uh, from verses 9 and 10, we get to hear him talk about the, the teaching content. Uh, in verse 9, it says, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. Weighing, studying, arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. You notice that the, the, the writer is talking about the preacher in the third person. And so some uh, commentators would say this, this is a different person. This, this is someone who has organized the information that was written by the preacher, and then this person is an editor, and... And that certainly could be, or it could be a literary device where the same writer is using this device to communicate uh, the epilogue here at the end to comment on the writing. I don't really think it matters. Uh, we find it in our Bibles. We are trusting it's inspired by God and is useful for building us up uh, as uh, disciples of Jesus. And so what we know we are getting is a bit of a behind-the-scenes look at the writing of Ecclesiastes and really all wisdom literature. You can think of it a bit like a documentary. Um, and I just watched a documentary on uh, the, the, the movies or the Christmas movies that shaped us. And this particular one was about the movie Elf. And so it's part retelling of the story that is the movie Elf. And then it's also... Uh, talking about the, the making of it, what went be on behind it, the, the why of making it, and even the how 
of making it. And so again, it, it's similar to this epilogue where it's telling us not just the content, there's some restatement of content that we've already uh, gone over in Ecclesiastes, but some behind the scenes of why is he writing it and how should we apply it. So what is in the writing? What is the content of the writing? Well, he uses a couple of different concepts here. So one is words of truth or knowledge, and then words of delight. So words of truth or knowledge and words of uh, delight. So the first part, the words of truth or knowledge, he's trying to convey truth. He's trying to convey uh, true truths, uh, and he wants his audience to understand those true truths. He's not primarily writing for entertainment or inspiration. Uh, he wants to convey truth with a capital T to his uh, listeners. And there's an urgency to this. Um, he, he urgently wants to compel his readers uh, to receive this truth. There's a lot of this kind of urgent truth talk in wisdom literature. Uh, here's an example in Proverbs 23. It says, listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth. Do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. You can hear an urgency in this teaching. This is not just a wah, 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 wah. Here's some information. Here's some factoids. Like This is really important, and you need to urgently receive this truth. You want it so bad, you'll sacrifice for it. It uses the illustration of purchasing something uh, with money. You might think of it this way, of going into the grocery store uh, and there are tens of thousands of items in the grocery store. In fact, I read an article that I was Googling around uh, for this, this week that uh, there's 40,000 more items in grocery stores now in, in, than like in the 90s. And so there, there's just tens of thousands of options and choices and products and you go into that uh, store and, and you're passing up tens of thousands of products and you're refusing to purchase those tens of thousands of products. You, you're, you're saying no to those products and you're, you're doing that so that you can say yes to the few products that you're going to go into the grocery store and you are going to part with your hard-earned money to uh, purchase. You're, you're despising all those other flavors of yogurt to, to purchase the, the one true yogurt, the, the, the mapleine yogurt that's organic and local and really uh, yummy. And, and, and it's similar to what he's describing here in terms of, of getting wisdom. He, he's saying uh, you need to do this with great urgency, right? And, and, and later on in the text, he'll, he'll say there's a lot of other options. There's a lot of other products out there. And he says the, the making you know, of, of books, there is no end. So there's a lot of people that are, are, are trying to, to uh, sell you all kinds of different ways of thinking and worldviews. And he's like, say no to those and sell out for this true truth, this uh, wisdom. Now, he knows that human beings are not always going to be buying what he's selling. And so he knows he has his, his work cut out for him, which is why he not only attempts to convey words of truth, but he tries to convey words that are delightful. Um, he isn't just communicating bullet point lists of truth. Uh, he is using creative and delightful language to convey those true truths. Uh, 
case in point, last week's poem on death. Right? I mean, if you didn't hear last week's sermon, I'd encourage you to go back. It really is kind of the big finish of the book, and then this is the epilogue, what we're talking about here. But there was, there was a bullet point list that I shared with you guys about death and dying, and I said things like death and dying are inevitable, death and dying are judgment for sin, uh, you shouldn't freak out about death and dying when you're reflecting on your own death, uh, and you should entrust yourself to God no matter what, even in the midst of death and dying. And, you know, these are some great bullet points. These are very uh, true truths. They're, they're good things to know. But then that text that uh, I pulled those bullet points from, we then ended on that poem about death. And as I myself was reflecting on that poem and thinking about it and preparing that sermon, I just found that that, that poetry was so delightful. It was so delicious. Not in that it wasn't a hard message. It was a hard message. But the way that it was conveyed was so delightful. It, it was so creative. It was so engaging. And it engaged not only my mind, but it engaged my heart. John Piper says, good preaching is light in the mind and heat in the heart. This is something along the lines of, of what the, the preacher is getting into here in Ecclesiastes. It's not just the bullet point list of, for the mind. It is a creative, delightful, delicious way of engaging uh, the heart. Uh, here's some e examples from Proverbs. So I could say to a woman, I could say, you know, it, it really is unwise for you to only pursue outward beauty and have no concern with your inward character, right? I could say that, and that'd be true. Uh, but, but I could also read her Proverbs 11:2, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. That, that's a lot more than creative engagement of, of that true truth. Or I could say to a lazy man, you know, if you don't stay on top of your work, it's, it's, going, it's going to cause you to experience a, a lot of, of painful consequences. But if you work hard, life in general is going to be a lot more smooth, right? I could, I could say that. That would be true. Or I could say from Proverbs 15, 9, the way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. It's a much more creative, delightful, heart-engaging way of communicating. And you find that throughout wisdom literature, and this is hard work. It's hard work to, to seek to communicate in this way. Uh, and he, he phrases it this way in verse 9. He says that he's weighing and studying and arranging many Proverbs with great care. I, I mean, I feel his pain. I feel his pain. I mean, this is much of my life's work for the last 30 years, is looking at Bible texts, trying to understand those texts, and then figuring out how could I restate these texts in ways that are good summaries, that are understandable. But not only that, how can I... Uh, illustrate this in an interesting way so that, that people will be able to access this truth and, and they'll uh, want to engage with this truth. And, and I work at this uh, because it's so important that I convey these truths. These are eternal truths. There's eternal consequences that are attached to whether or not people who are listening to me receive that truth. And so it's actually a great discouragement to me when I hear people saying, uh, oh, yeah, I never get around to seeing the live stream. Now, I'm, I'm talking to people right now that are on the live stream. So those folks, I'm going to have to reach out to them, I guess, and let them know. Uh, it, th this stuff is so important, right? And it's discouraging to me, not, not because 
uh, of your pastor's ego. I want people to listen to me. It's discouraging because I know that, that the congregation needs the word of God. Like this, this is why we're doing it. This is why we're doing this live stream. This is why we're, we're preaching the word. This is why uh, we're gathering in family groups and we're discussing the sermon because we know you need the word of God. And, and when we kind of let that go and step away from those kind of rhythms, those kinds of disciplines, I know as your pastor, I know that that's going to affect you uh, in, in very negative ways in terms of your spiritual life. And so whether you're, you're, you're gathering remotely or you're coming in person, let, let's re-engage our hearts in, in the important, uh, truth-filled, delightful Word of God. If you're remote uh, then, and, and, and you have kids, like set them down in front of the screen. Listen together. Stand and sing the songs. I know it feels a little cheesy. Just do it. Just stand up, sing the songs. Pray the prayers. Listen to the sermon. Talk about the sermon when it's over. Pray together as a family or a group of roommates or whoever you may be with. If, if you are with someone as, you, as you're listening, like engage in this. Not, not as a, a passive consumer who's like, ah, that was a so-so sermon. No, this is the, the delightful, truth-filled word of God. And, and we, we have to engage ourselves in receiving it. There's an urgency to you receiving it on a daily and a weekly uh, basis. And you may say, well, calm down, Pastor. I mean, calm down, calm down. What's the, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is the next part of, of, of what he says here in the why. Why is he writing? Uh, verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails. Firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They're given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books. There is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. He knows that these truths need to be uh, uh, successfully conveyed uh, because they both keep you moving and keep you stable. They keep you moving and they keep you stable. Um, he says it in a much more delightful way than that. The, the uh, keep you moving, he says, they should be like goads. Now, a goad is something you use to urge an animal forward. And it is painful for the animal, but it doesn't injure the animal. I remember growing up, I would help my grandfather uh, on a cattle ranch, and he had something called a hot shot. At least that's what he called it. And it, and it, it looked like, like something that you would, would whip the cattle with, right, to get them moving through the chute. But it had batteries in it, and it was electrified. And so you, you, could, you could, could give a little jolt of electricity into the cow, and then the cow would keep moving on. And it hurt the cow, but didn't injure the cow. It was actually safer than an actual whip on the cow, which could break the skin and injure the cow. And so this is, this is what's being described here, something similar. It's a goad. It's painful for us, right? These words are, are sometimes painful, but they don't injure us. Right? They, they move us uh, forward. There's so much of this in Ecclesiastes. I mean, this is, a, this is such a great image for the, for, for the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, here's just one example. This is from last week where he says, So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. There's such both grace and truth 
in that, right? Where he, he on one hand is saying, hey, receive the, the good things in life, receive them as gifts, but don't forget that, that, that the days of darkness are many, right? That's a goad. Like, we don't want to hear that. We don't, we, we don't want to have to, to, to reflect on our own death and dying and the days of darkness are many, but we need to hear that, right? It's a goad. And it's not, it's not given to us to injure us. It's given that, us to feel that pain of that reflection and then get us moving forward. Uh, these words also keep us stable. And this is what he says when he says they, they are to be like nails. Now, this is easier for us to understand, I think, because, you know, stuff's flying around, you know, and the, and the wind's blowing it, and we're like, we got to nail that down, right? Uh, we had this situation with our roof. Uh, our roof was put on late 80s, early 90s, and according to the roofer, evidently they didn't use very long nails uh, in those times. They were trying to save money. And so consequently, because my roof is so steep, uh, shingles were like sliding off, flying off, and uh, I was having to like crawl back up on the roof and re-nail and re-nail and re-nail. And, and eventually, I just had to get a new roof, right? And so I'm talking to the roofer before they put the, the shingles on, and I say, nail them down. <laughs> I, I don't care how long those nails have to be. Like, they just make sure that these things are so nailed down that they will not move. And there's something along those lines that the, the preacher is communicating here, that these words, these truth-filled, delightful words, not only keep us moving, but they give us something stable to nail our lives to. And the reason that these are so trustworthy for both getting us moving and also making us uh, stable is that they're given to us by God. These words come from God. Right? He's letting us know the, these words that he's penning. This isn't just an, this, uh, some other book, just this one other book on the shelf here. These are the very words of God. He says, they are given by one shepherd. Uh, the writer, uh, probably, probably Solomon, is, is a shepherd of Israel, but really he sees himself as the under-shepherd and that God is the supreme shepherd and that this supreme shepherd is shepherding his people. How is he doing it? Through his word. He's speaking to his people. And so th this is why there's so much urgency to receive the, these delightful, truth-filled words. It's, it's, they're not just some, uh, some life hacks or some helpful things that might you know, give you a smoother experience. These are from God, and this is why they need to be urgently uh, received, and they can be trusted. Um, Jesus, uh, the true and better Solomon, the true and better preacher, uh, he tells us something similar. He, he tells us something along the lines of, you hear these words, you put them into practice, your life's going to be a lot more stable. But he says it in a much more delightful way than that. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And so you see that same kind of, of principle, especially the stability uh, principle. He's saying, what, what, what can you trust 100% in this life? God and his word. That's it. And it, 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 Ecclesiastes has told us that. Ecclesiastes is like everything else is hevel. Everything else is like a vapor. You, you try to, to put your 100% trust in 
anything else except God and his word, you're going to be disappointed because it can't bear up under that weight. The only thing that can bear up under that weight is God and his word. Everything else is tending toward chaos. Everything else is tending toward hevel. And so uh, we, we know that the word will, will get us moving. We know that the word will keep us stable. But how do I do this, right? And I think most of you that are listening to this, you're like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I get that. The what, the content, I get the, the why. But how do I do it? What, what, how, how do I go about applying this? And this gets us into verses 13, 14. It says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So that the how of, of applying God's word, that's a huge question, right? And, the, and so this is not like the, the exhaustive answer to that question. But man, there's some really great uh, answers to that question, at least, at least three that, that I can see. One is that you engage God's truth in the context of relationship with God. You engage God's truth in context of relationship with God. This is why he says, fear God and keep his commandments. You see how he's coupling those. It's not just, hey, here's a list of commandments. Go do the list. He's like, no, no, no. Fear God and keep his commandments. Uh, this idea of wisdom beginning with God, beginning with the fear of God, is throughout wisdom literature. And I've read this verse to you before, but it's a good example of this. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, it, it may sound a little scary, like fear uh, God. And there's definitely a sense of uh, the, the exhortation to respect God, to revere God, and consequently to keep his commands because of that respect and, and that uh, reverence. But, but I also want you to see that, that what it's saying is that the commands of God are not just some random list of do's and don'ts. Like th These are not just some, some random proverbs, right? Like a Ben Franklin proverb of a penny saved, a penny earned, or, or the African proverb of it takes a village. Like, like these things are, are helpful and, and they help you in your life, but, but these aren't the word of God. Like, like what, what, what the preacher is writing here in Ecclesiastes and what we find in the rest of, of our Bibles, this is, this is God's word. And because of that, uh, we, we should do it, right? Because it is in the context of this uh, relationship with the sovereign good uh, God. And, and, and this, is, this is happening in, in our congregation. Uh, it happened yesterday. Over 50 women were, were on, in the mug and muffin Zoom call and were listening to the Word of God be, be taught and then hearing it testified to and the, uh, the way in which uh, a couple of the women in our church were, were able to rely on God and His Word through very difficult circumstances. And so th this is so essential. And so while that's happening, we also, again, we hear a little bit of a kind of, yeah, yawn about live stream, yawn about family groups, right? No, there, there's an urgency that we, we want to continue to take in the Word of God and, and not just take it in whatever random preacher you listen to on the podcast, but taking it in in the context of your local congregation. 
There's, there's something unique. There's something powerful about, about experiencing the Word with your congregation, both in a, in a service like this, but also as you gather in your family groups uh, to experience uh, the Word of God. A second way that, that he's talking about the how uh, is that you actually engage with God's Word with the intention of doing it. You engage with God's Word with the intention of doing it, right? Fear God and keep His commandments. Uh, he says this is, this is our duty. Now, we don't really think about that word all that much. Uh, he says this is the whole duty of human beings, is to fear God and keep uh, His commandments. And so, again, it's not just some you know, helpful life hacks. Like th This is the Word of God, and uh, consequently, we should seek to keep that word, and it is our duty. And when we say it's our duty, we, we mean that uh, there, there's something beyond this actual command that makes this uh, something that we, we want to do, right? I mean, we usually we use duty like a soldier. We say, uh, uh, you know, a soldier is, is going to die for their country. They don't die for the country because they look in a manual at a bullet point and it says, you know, you should be willing to sacrifice your life for your country. No, they're, they're sacrificing their life for their country because of the, their duty to their country, Right? There's something greater that is motivating them to do, yes, what's in the manual, to keep the command that has been told them by their drill sergeant. And so the same is true for us. We're not just keeping the commands because they're a list in the Bible. We're keeping these commands because these commands come from God. And we fear God. We worship God. We love God. We want to follow His commands because they're in the context of uh, relationship. And so uh, th th that's the second way that he talks about uh, the how. And you may hear that and you say, oh, okay, 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 calm down. Like, all right, uh, I'll follow commands. I'll do that unto God. But how comprehensive are we really talking here? I mean, I mean, is this, is this going to like affect a lot of my life? And in fact, it is going to affect all of your life. And this is the third part about the application. The how of the application is that we engage with God's truth with the expectation that it will inform every part of our lives. This is what he means when he says in verse 14, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. God is concerned about all of our lives, whether it's public or private, whether it's inward thoughts or outward actions. Uh, he desires to rule to be the sovereign over every part of our lives, inside and out. It is comprehensive in its nature. Uh, Jesus gets at this in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, he says, You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Right? So he's talking about a command that's on the outside. And then he says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he moves to the inside. He's like, I, I want to be king not over, just over your outward actions. I want to be king over your very thoughts. He says something similar later, uh, or, or earlier in that chapter, Matthew 5, 21. You've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. So there's an outward action. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry and with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You see him doing the same thing. 
He's like, you've heard it said, this outward action, this outward command, but I want to be sovereign over even your emotions. So yes, sovereign over your outward actions, but also sovereign over your inward thoughts, even your inward emotions. Now you hear that, you say, was that good news or bad news? Well, it depends. It depends. If we were to try to stand up to the scrutiny of a holy God, if we, if we were to take our emotions and our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes, our words, bring them before uh, the, the holy judge of the universe, uh, and we tried to do that by ourselves, we would not stand. We could not stand. The verdict would be 100%, you're guilty. And, and, and this is why we need Christ. <laughs> this is why we need Christ. Because Christ did fear God and keep the commandments, 100%. He kept them outwardly. He kept them inwardly. His thoughts, his emotions, his actions, all of them 100% perfectly kept in reverence for God. And so this means that the one who was the God-fearer and the commandment keeper could then die in the place of God-haters and commandment breakers like you and me. And so th this is why we can read a, a passage about judgment. And if, if we've run to Christ for forgiveness of our, our debts, our, our, our sins against him, we, we by grace through faith can stand in the judgment. And you, you hear both uh, the preacher in Ecclesiastes talking about judgment. You hear Jesus talking about judgment. It's, it's from Old Testament to New Testament. We're going to stand and we're going we're gonna to stand before the holy judge. And that verdict will be guilty unless... We have, have, have run to Christ and, and accepted what he did on the cross on our behalf. That, that the, the God-fearer, the commandment keeper has died in our place. Uh, and so does that mean that Christians don't fear God? Well, no and yes. No, they don't fear God in terms of they don't fear condemnation for their sin. If you're a Christian, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul writes in Romans 8. And so, no, we don't, we don't have to fear condemnation. But yes, we fear God as in we respect Him, we revere Him, we seek to keep His commandments in obedience to Him. So yes, we do fear God and we keep His commandments. And so how do, how do we respond to this this morning? And I think... Uh, for some, you need to run to Jesus to be saved this morning, to be saved from your sin. And perhaps you, for the first time, have come to the understanding that you are uh, the, the God-hater, the God-rejecter, and the commandment-breaker, and that you cannot stand up under the, the holy judgment of, of God, and that you need to run to Christ for grace, to run to the cross, to be forgiven by the one who has died in your place. So if you've not done that yet, I want to encourage you to do that this morning. And uh, if, if perhaps that's, you're not ready to, to take that step yet, but, but you are like, huh, I need to explore that more. I want to encourage you to go to our website at mercyhouse365.org slash respond. And uh, you can do a little more thorough exploration of what this gospel is, this good news, this forgiveness that Christ is offering you at the cross and how one is to respond. You can also reach out to us and let us know uh, if you want to talk about it or you have questions or you're ready to, to, to place faith in Christ. We would love uh, to hear uh, if that's happened. 
And then others of us, we, we, we know that we uh, are commandment breakers and uh, that we uh, have, have no hope except in the fact that Christ has died in our place. What of us? What, how do we respond to this? And so I, I think the, the text should point us to a place of repentance. Now for some of us, it's a repentance of, of, of not continually learning the truth-filled, delightful words of God. That, that we have kind of put those things on the side. We, we perhaps have allowed the COVID and busyness and feeling depressed or whatever the case may be to, to say, you know what, I just kind of put my spiritual life on the side. Let's repent of that. We, there, there's an urgency in this text, right? And there's an urgency from your pastor. As I'm talking to people and, and I'm picking up on kind of that spiritual lethargy, I, I feel an urgency. I'm worried about you. I, 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 I want to encourage you to repent from that lethargy this morning and to turn toward God and his word, both in your own private times, but also in, the, in these times of gathering together for worship, but also gathering together in family groups to discuss uh, God's uh, word. Most of us, we need to repent for our lack of fearing God and keeping the commandments that we already do know. Right? We, 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 we are learning commandments, uh, but, but we're, we're failing uh, to uh, obey those commandments. And so it may be that, yes, we know that the delightful, truth-filled words are something that we need to prioritize, and, and we're just not doing it. Uh, we know that we need to be in community with other believers, but we're just not doing it. Uh, we know that we should reach across to our neighbors and, and try to meet their needs in this time, uh, of, of struggle and challenge for so many, but we're, we're just not, we're just not doing it. Um, we know we need to be making disciples. We've all read, you know, Matthew 28, and it says make disciples, but we're just not doing it, right? We're, we're, we're not engaged. We're not keeping the commands of the God that we say we fear. And so, so we need, we need to repent of that. We need to admit that, that these delightful, truth-filled words have been given to us and we're not keeping them. We're not fearing God and keeping uh, His commandments. And I know uh, some uh, are, are saying, but you don't understand. I'm, I'm, I'm weary. I'm, I'm depressed. I, 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 can't, I can't receive this kind of, 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 a, of a correction or a, a rebuke. And I want you to know, we're all weary. Like, we're all depressed, right? We're, we're all experiencing the difficulty of, of this time. Um, and, in, and if you think about it, what, what is a, what, what's the thing that a depressed person least wants to do? Like, like what, they, 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 they don't want to hang out with people. Uh, they don't want to get out and exercise. They don't want to eat right. What's the very thing that they need to do? They need to get out and talk to people. They need to exercise. They need to eat right, right? <laughs> like the, the very thing you don't want to do is the thing you need to do. And the spiritual life is, is very similar, especially in this time. And you're like, I, you know, I, I feel lethargic. I, I feel depressed. I don't feel like engaging in the Word. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to. No, no, no. You, you, you know from the Word of God. You know, no, that's not what I want to do. I, actually, I am going to 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 seek uh, God's grace and power and strength to overcome that, so that I can engage in God's Word in uh, the community of the church and stay on the mission, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves. Him. And I, I, I don't want you uh, engaging in these merely because your pastor is getting after you. 
I want you to engage in these things because of the truth-filled, delightful words of God. In the most truth-filled, delightful words of God, it's, it's the gospel. The very thing that all those words in the Bible point to is the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he has done as the, the God-fearing uh, commandment keeper to die in our place, those who have rejected God and not kept his commandments. This is what fuels us in our repentance and our faith toward God. There's a, a, a hymn, this is an old hymn that uh, I, I was thinking about as I was looking at this text uh, called Wonderful Words of Life. It's like from 1874. And one of the verses goes like this, sweetly echo the gospel call. Wonderful words of life. Offer pardon and peace to all. Wonderful words of life. Jesus, only Savior, sanctify forever. And then the refrain, uh, beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Let's pray. God, we thank you. You are a God who speaks, that you have given us these truth-filled, delightful, life-giving words, that the sovereign good God is a shepherd who loves us, a shepherd who's actually given his life for the sheep. And we come to you, Lord, repenting, confessing, or we're tired, we're, we're weary. Uh, we, as we see um, infection rates going up in our country and uh, all that, that, that's gone on in 2020 as we, as we round the corner in 2021, Lord, we need your grace and we need your mercy. We, we, we need your kindness, Lord, to grant repentance in our lives and to, to be awakened out of our lethargy, out of our unwillingness to, to engage in, in the Word and to do so in community. Um, God, and I, I do, I thank you for the ways in which that is happening in this church, Lord, and those that are on this stream and those gathering in the uh, things that, that have been offered and things that the offering in the in-person, God, and, and we, we give you thanks for that and praise you, God, for that. But we also know that there is much weariness. There is much lethargy. And so, Lord, would you, would you come and awaken us? And, and would you turn us back toward you, God, and, and shape us by your grace to be ones who fear God and keep your commandments? And, and so as we, as we move into uh, the, the, the rest of this Advent season, Lord, which is really a time of confession and repentance, we, we just offer these prayers of confession and repentance up to you, God. We pray for the summit uh, tonight. Uh, God, that you would also work in that time as we gather together to, to speak of how things are going and, and how we can move forward uh, in, as a, a congregation uh, for your glory and honor. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.